We have Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. And beginning reading at verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Loving Father, that you may stir up our hearts to keep our eyes on the prize ahead of us. And Lord, may we have the emotion and desire to press on and to be faithful. For we know, Father, that you are faithful to us in sending your only begotten Son into the world to die for our sins. We thank you, Father, that he arose upon the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen of some 500 brethren and that he ascended to the right hand of the very throne of God in heaven. We thank you, Father, for the blessings which you give through your word to us. And as we are looking at this passage this afternoon, may you cause our hearts to desire more of what it means of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at this passage, a rather brief passage this afternoon, but one which uh, has some wonderful things to say to us. And uh, the title is, Keep Your Eye on the Prize. Of course, uh, we know that uh, the Apostle Paul had his eye on the prize. And he wanted, as it were, to go to be with the Lord. But he felt it was much more expedient that he remain and that he continue to encourage the brethren. And so we find him doing that very thing. Perhaps you've wondered why sometimes we linger so long upon the earth in the place where God has us to serve, except that, as many say, the Lord still must have something for me to do. And we use that phrase in a much more exclusive way rather than in a general secular way. For as Christians, we desire to honor God with our lives. 
And we pray, above all, that we will not become a castaway and that we will truly be profitable unto the Lord in our lives. And I think that uh, this passage kind of speaks to that in a great way. That uh, Paul, of course, realized of his background, and he was not so happy with it, but rather he felt that his own righteousness was not so good. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, he says in verse 7, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuge or rubbish, that I may win Christ. And so we find that many of the things that we do, you and I probably could put them into the same category. That uh, as far as eternal realities, they have very little profit. And we might even say, if I had it to do over again, I think I would do something a bit different. But the Apostle Paul wanted to impress upon the believers at Philippi and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And though he could boast, if you will, of his own righteousness after the law, he found it not profitable to do so because he realized that his true righteousness was of the righteousness of God by faith through Jesus Christ. And so we are in the same category. We have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness alone is through Jesus Christ our Lord by faith. And so these three areas we want to look at this afternoon. To know Christ, his sufferings, and his death. And of course, uh, Paul could literally say that he was headed in that direction. To know Christ in his sufferings and death. Well, in the first century there were many, perhaps, who would face martyrdom because of their faith. We find that um, a little bit later on, by the time John uh, comes out of the Isle of Patmos, this is about 60 A.D. in Philippians, in this writing, but John, later, about 90 A.D., we find that Nero and Caliglia and many of the other uh, potentates of the time were burning Christians, uh, offering them up in the Colosseum. And if they did not bow to emperor worship when they were supposed to do so, they would find themselves incarcerated 
And perhaps there were whippings and beatings and many other kinds of things which would be most undesirable. And they suffered the sufferings of death, the sufferings of Christ because they were Christians. And Paul knew that this was ahead of him as well. And so when we read this passage here, we realize that Paul would be suffering those things. In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. You know, sometimes we may take this and we may say, figuratively, we will suffer as Christ and we will be made conformable unto his death. And that is a valid statement to make because we don't live in the first century in the United States. But what would Christians say in China today who are suffering under the sufferings of Christ and being made conformable unto his death? What would the Christians say in India today where it will not be tolerated in many villages and places for Christians to exercise their faith? Would they not also say that they would have the sufferings of Christ and be made conformable unto his death under, unto a more literal realization of it. And what about in Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and, and probably we could add to that many places in Africa that are under Muslim control and possibly under the brotherhood of the Muslims in Egypt. And there are many places who probably would say the same thing more literally than just saying figuratively. But will it come to the sufferings of Christ more literally and being made more conformable unto the death of Christ more literally? for believers in the United States? Well, we would have to say there is a question mark there and that it is leaning very much stronger in that direction. And we would also have to say after the preaching of the book of Revelation, we know that in a future time of fulfilled prophecy, it will be the literal view of it. But perhaps to make us more comfortable, we like to say it's only figuratively right now. But I would say to you that figuratively or literally, we ought to be living Christ. Figuratively or literally, we ought to know what it is to suffer for being a Christian. Figuratively or literally, we ought to recognize what it means to be made conformable unto the death of Jesus. Why? Because like Paul, we do desire to know him and the power of his resurrection.
as he mentions in verse 10. And so to know Christ, his sufferings and his death, is something that we should put on our list of things to expect in our walk with the Lord. Secondly, that I may apprehend Christ, for he has already apprehended me. And so Paul goes on here, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, of course, this verse as well will be known literally and by every Christian. Oh, we'll know that we won't be resurrected in three days. But if we die now in this mortal life, we will be resurrected in the resurrection of the dead. We will know what it means to truly be resurrected. Christ is the first fruits. Lazarus had to die again. There's only two others that perhaps escaped that, that situation. Uh, Enoch and Elijah. They were, it seems that they were just translated right out of this world into the next. And there's some question whether or not Elijah is going to make another appearance. <laughs> but on the Mount of Transfiguration, it seems like perhaps he appeared along with Moses for a brief interlude. Well, Paul was looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. Because that was part of the doctrine to which he ascribed to, even as a Pharisee. The Sadducees did not ascribe to it, but the Pharisees did ascribe to the resurrection of the dead. And we find that it's necessary for us to have this in view in our own doctrine. For we know that when we die, our bodies will be at last changed. And the corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us. And if you happen to go up in the rapture, well we know the dead in Christ shall rise first and they that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How wonderful that the words of the apostles uh, dovetail together with every other doctrinal truth that we have grown to know and to love. Even from the Old Testament, I was reading Job recently, and he, and he says, In that day I will stand with him, God, God was going to raise up Job, and Job felt like he was, going to, he was going to see the Lord. Even from the very old, Job is considered perhaps one of the most oldest books in the Bible. And here he is talking about the resurrection. How wonderful that we, we have this truth of the resurrection of Christ. 
that I may apprehend Christ, Paul says. In verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ. Now here is also a wonderful concept that Christ has apprehended us, and because he has apprehended us, we also are desiring to follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ. So um, many perhaps will come up with a different, thought, different, different thoughts on this whole subject, but in my mind goes immediately to perhaps on the road to Damascus when, when Paul had the encounter with Jesus and he was apprehended of Christ. Uh, seems like he had an appointment he had to keep. And it was so vital that he keep the appointment that God stopped him en route and decided to change his heart and mind for as long as he would live. He would be apprehended for Christ. He would be captured by this one that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against and that his life would be changed. Perhaps you can think of your own life. When was you apprehended for Christ? When did your life suddenly flip and change from one thing to another? And even though, like some who have been churched all their life, even from childhood, they should be able to think about a certain time that became a turning point for them. Because everyone has to come to terms with Jesus and with who he is. And so Paul had his moment. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, well... The idea of perfect, of course, he isn't teaching sinless perfection at all. We have a little bit too much experience to know we're not perfect in, in any way. Except being created by God. We're perfectly created by him. Body, soul, and spirit, motion, intellect, and will. God has created us after his image and his likeness. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, even though we are fallen creatures, we cannot overlook the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And so it is that Paul was looking to attain. Not as though I had already attained. Well, like most of us on the road, as we walk the straight and narrow, as we look around us and as we take inventory of our lives, we probably can say, Lord, I haven't yet attained. I haven't yet come to the place where I feel like 
you don't have to do anything more in my life, Lord. Because we all have a sense of who we are ourselves and we know ourselves perhaps more than, better than anybody else. And, and we say, I've got a few things yet, Lord. You're still working on me. And so we find Paul, he's, if he's looking back at some of the things that were happening to him or as he considers what is, what is in the future, because he does say, reaching forth unto those things which are before. As much as we are anchored in the past, we know when we were changed, when we came to Christ, I can remember exactly when it happened to the moment. And even where I was and under what circumstances it was. And and God does that. He does that. He anchors us to a point in our life when we really have been affected by the power of the cross. Lord, make me worthy of the blood you shed for me. And we find that Paul could do that, but then he looks to the future as well. You say, here we are. We are still here. No matter what age you happen to be, no matter what background you may have come from, God has you here at this moment and this time. And we have to believe that there is a reason why God has you here. For this moment and this time, you see. If you didn't, then you would be a fatalist. You would simply say, the grave is the end. Six feet is as is, is far as I'm going to go down and I'm not going to come back. But that isn't the psychology of Christian thinking. Not at all. We're not fatalists but rather we believe and hope, have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only unto salvation that we might live for Christ, but unto the reality of eternal things. And so we find that uh, Paul realized of what it meant to be apprehended by Christ. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. We get the sense of the feeling that Paul is saying in a sense, Lord, you saved me for something. You saved me to do this work and I want to complete it. I want to complete it. Now, sometimes we have the problem of making, you know, somebody else the whole issue. You know, we may look at the Apostle Paul or John or some of the other disciples and we we may study the scriptures and we may see in them how God is going to do this thing and we finally read through and see how he accomplished his purposes in, in them. And at the same time, somehow it completely escapes us that God is doing the same thing in you and me. 
ever how insignificant we think it might be, God is doing it. You're not an ornament put upon a shelf and you're doing nothing. You're here because Christ has saved you and has quickened you and made you alive and you are saved by the grace of God and the mercies of God are known by you every single day. And yes, God is using you and he has a purpose in your life. It's not just a cliche that we say God has a plan for you. No, he really does have something for you to fulfill. Whether it's to be a faithful father or a faithful mother or a faithful husband or a faithful wife, uh, whether it is to be a Sunday school teacher or to work at your place of employee and to do the best job you can or to live the Christian life and simply be a witness by that which you live. You see, I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Of that for which I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. I have a purpose. My life counts for God right now. But, you know, as much as Paul would say that, he, he then goes on in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He hadn't yet attained, he, he knew that. He even said it. He hadn't yet apprehended that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He hadn't completed what God meant him to do yet. In fact, he wanted to go back and see the Philippians in person. And here he is being incarcerated and unable to do the very thing he wanted to do. Do you have anything left undone? You know, probably you could come up with a whole list of things at home that's uh, undone around the house, couldn't you? I was thinking about that today, even driving up here. I was thinking about all of these various things that, that I've got to complete somehow before winter. And I was saying to myself, Lord, I've got I to do some of these things. How am I going to get them all done? But that really isn't the things that count the most, is it? Our walk with God is the thing that counts. Lord, I, I pray that I can finish my walk with you. I've got a few more steps to take along the journey. You see, and maybe you feel the same way. You have a few more steps to take along the journey walking with the Lord. He says, I follow after. 
Now, if we, if we ponder that a little, that few more steps in our Christian faith, in the daily walk with Christ, and what that means to the people around us and our family and our acquaintances and the kinds of things that God has put on our plate, so to speak. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I can see ahead of me by faith. I can see ahead of me by faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have some things we are hoping for by faith. There's not a lot of evidences. The evidences of things not seen. They're all by faith. All by faith. You may ask an evolutionist how how come he believes evolution. He has to say he believes it somehow by faith because he can't prove it. Can't put it in a test tube and prove it. Can't go through the various elements of scientific investigation to prove that it actually happened. No matter what they seem to come up with for for their so-called evidences, they cannot put it in a test tube. Well, same thing is true of Christianity. You and I weren't there in the beginning. We're taking somebody else's word for it. In fact, it's the one who has the biggest and highest position in the world. God. We believe God. We believe that God is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We can't put God in a test tube. We can't prove God. And so what do we do by faith? The evidences of things not seen. We believe by faith. Paul was looking forward, reaching forth unto those things which are before, and he was doing it by faith. It involved some responsibility. He didn't give up writing to the Philippian Christians. He didn't give up encouraging Timothy. He didn't throw Epaphroditus to the side of the road and say, I don't need you. All of the people along the way, he counted them very important to him as co-laborers. We're co-laborers in Christ. And we're pressing forth unto those things which are before by faith. And we need to do that because that is the kind of where, I think it's J. Vernon McGee used that phrase over and over again, where the rubber meets the road on his radio program. And uh, I think that applies. Let us reach forth and press on unto the prize and high calling in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 14 he says, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Like the runner in a marathon who presses toward 
it's a long way ahead of him. The marathon runner has to, he has to have a long-term view to his completion of the goal and the victory. I've never run a marathon, but I can, I can imagine that to do that uh, physically is one of those things you have to really, I suppose, psych yourself up for, as they say, because it might be, I don't know, 5, 10, 20, I don't know how many miles they run, probably different, different lengths for different times when they do those kinds of things, but, but as they say, it's not the, it's not the first one over the finish line, it's, you've, got to, you've got to run, no matter even if you're the last one in the pack. You can't give up halfway through, not if you're going to finish. And Christians, we all start in different places, don't we? Some when we were very, very young, some when we were middle-aged, and others somewhat later. But we all have to run and press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We all have to do it. And no matter the physical ability, I mean, you know, we think about marathon runners, they have to be in good shape. But I've seen some on television who give testimony to running a marathon and they look like they're pretty aged people. You might even say, well, he must be my age. <laughs> he must be an old guy like me. <laughs> but somehow he runs a marathon. Well, <clears throat> since we're running by faith, we have to keep our hearts in tune with God, don't we? We have to exercise our faith to run this race. And each of us can, can exercise our faith no matter what age we are or what physical uh, condition we're in. We can all exercise our faith to run, to press forward, to reach forth unto those things that are before, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And I suppose we could say much about, you know, various crowns and so forth that we might win. But I don't know about you. As far as I'm concerned, the prize for me is to see Jesus, to be with him, and to be like him, for I will know him as he is. And we, you know, we say a lot about, I won't have this physical body anymore, I'll have a new body, and we, we talk about all those kinds of things. But it seems like when you come right down to it about being with Jesus, it's almost like everything else doesn't matter. That's the one thing that we're aiming for, to be with Jesus. And none of us have ever seen him but we all know him by faith. And Paul says, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death is kind of like, that is it in a nutshell. To know Jesus. 
Keep your eye on the prize. There's a lot of things to distract us, but we have to keep our eyes on the prize. And so we look to the Lord by faith. So we recognize how important it is to follow Christ. I guess in closing we might just want to say that Paul seems to come to the point in what he has to say. He comes he boils it all down to something that can really touch each of our hearts. And when he boils this one down, I think we realize he's he's hit pay dirt, as they say. It's golden. And so, lay up your treasures where it matters, in heaven. And those treasures are all in Christ. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your love and grace to us. Thank you, Father, for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you set forth your Son in the fullness of time, born of a virgin, that he came down to earth that he might redeem us unto himself. That in his sufferings and death, that in his full atonement for our sins, we can trust in Christ to know that our righteousness is of God by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless your word to our hearts, Father, and encourage us in our walk of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.